Proverbs chapter 30 and verse 18 is where we've left off. And the title of this, right from the text, Things Too Wonderful for Me. Things Too Wonderful for Me. Proverbs chapter 30, verse number 18, the Bible says, There be three things which are too wonderful for me, yea, four which I know not. So the fourth one's not going to be too wonderful. He's just not going to know about it either. Verse number 19, the way of an eagle in the air, the way of a serpent upon a rock, the way of a ship in the midst of the sea, and the way of a man with a maid. You say, preacher, what's that got to do with anything? Well, it must have a lot or it wouldn't be in the Bible. So God wants us to study the ways of these things. That's going to be even more intriguing when we get over into this chapter talking about the ants. and You know, God's got a lot of lessons for us to learn in all types of places. And Jesus was that way when he was here on the earth. He taught from things off the land and as a a farmer and his crops growing and fish, all sorts of things he would use that God uh, tries to use to teach us. And so tonight what we're looking at are these things that are too wonderful for me. Now, when, when, and he says, I know them not. And what he means by that is that he can't find it out. They're sort of above his reach or above his comprehension. And he's saying what he's wanting us to look at in verse number 19 is the way of all of these things. Not just the eagle or the serpent or the ship or the man and the maid. He's trying to get us to look at the way of these things. Now, if you picked up any book that wrote about these things in the book of Proverbs, they'll, most all of them will talk about the way of them being as, you know, a ship goes through the water and then you can't see where it's been and the eagle flies through the air and you don't know where it's been. Before that, you can only ascertain the eagle where he is right now, not the way he came to that place. <clears throat> The same with the serpent on the rock. The serpent doesn't leave any tracks on a rock. He would only leave tracks in the sand. And and, and so they emphasize that about you can't really tell how the thing got where it is. But I don't think it's just that. I also think he's talking about its way in its destination. In other words, not really... Just where did the eagle come from, but where is the eagle flying to? Not just where did the ship travel through the water, but but where is the ship going? What is the way of the ship? You understand what I'm saying? Uh, The same thing with the serpent and the the man and the maid. So we're looking at the ways of these things, their, their destination. Now, when I was younger, I heard... When I was a teenager, I heard so many messages about eagles. It was a popular thing for evangelists to preach. I don't know, maybe Brother Shock can get up here and preach on the eagles for it. But I heard a lot of message on eagles. Most of it was just typology. And, you know, you can't live off all of that. But 
But in the Bible, it does tell us we ought to study the way of this eagle because there's some wisdom to be learned from the way of the eagle. And particularly, look, look at it, verse 19. <clears throat> the way of an eagle in the air. So it's talking about the flight of the eagle, is it not? It's talking about how this eagle flies. Or where it flies to, or where it flies from. Um, when I was out in uh, Arizona on, no, yeah, on the reservation, uh, he, he took me somewhere. I don't even know where he took No, that's, come on, Brent, get your head together better than that. When I was in Alaska, you get you go so many places you forget where you were. When I was in Alaska and he drove me uh, to the end of nowhere somewhere, and uh, there were eagles to be seen. Beautiful. I never forget driving back from church. I, I stopped at a at a at a red light, and here comes bald eagles flying right there in the intersection. I thought, wow, beautiful, beautiful. Eagles are majestic birds. I think that's why. Why they chose that as the, you know, the emblem of our country. Thank God Benjamin Franklin didn't have his way. He's a smart guy, but I don't think we'd want a turkey as our national bird. But I'd rather be an eagle than a turkey. I like to eat turkey. but And turkeys can fly, but not too high, not too far. The way of an eagle in the air. You know eagles are about the fastest flying bird in the world. The conference I was just at, guy got up and preached, he said there were 50 plus billion birds in the world. I don't know how they got that figure, but he started talking about birds for a while. He didn't talk about eagles, but when you look at all the birds, the eagle is at the top of the pinnacle about how fast it can fly. I think there's only... Well, today's science says that there's one bird that could fly faster than an eagle. It's some kind of specialized little falcon or something or other. I don't know. But but eagles basically are the fastest bird on the planet. And the Bible even confirms their flight or their way in the air. So many different verses in the Bible. Like Deuteronomy 28, 49 talks about being as swift as the eagle flyeth. They're... they're they're so fast, they're so quick. And there's some wisdom in that because really, I think, I think God wants us to be eagles. I think there's even some verses in the Bible that equate God's people with eagles. And I think the, the fast flight, the swift flight, denotes the strength of that eagle. How strong its wings are. Not only fast, the fastest bird basically on the planet, but the the bird that basically can fly about the highest of any bird. Again, when you look in the Bible, you'll find some of that in, in the Bible where it talks about Jeremiah 49, 16, about making your nest as high as the eagle. The eagle has such a high altitude. And he can ascend up into heaven so very high that you can't hardly, you can't really see him. He's got great eyesight as well as he flies. And he can see his prey and he can get a bead on the fish or whatever he's looking for. And what a good picture of how you and I are supposed to be in our lives with God and in our wisdom. 
You know, guys, every one of us have problems, and every every now and then we get our wings clipped and we're on the ground and but but eagles aren't made to stay on the ground. They're made to fly. And I think in our society a lot of times we have a glorification of, of being a victim. And if you're a victim of something and if you've been hurt in some way, God can help you. But God doesn't want you to live there. He wants you to fly. He wants you to soar. He wants you to put your nest on high. He doesn't want your nest down here. He wants your nest up in the heights. And he wants you to be strong. Look at, look at Isaiah 40. You know the verse. You know, if you're going through a season in your life, and your life's full of weakness, that's all right as long as you'll keep trusting God to bring you to the place he wants you to be. He doesn't want you to stay there. He wants to strengthen you. He don't want you to stay weak. We're all weak. We all have seasons in our lives that, that aren't, we're not flying our highest. Okay? But God still wants us to get there. That's the life He wants us to live. In Isaiah chapter 40, great, great verses. Verse number 29 of Isaiah 40, verse 29. He giveth power to the faint. I believe that. If you're weak, all right. God can give you power. He giveth power to the faint. And to them that have no might, He increaseth strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary. And the young men shall utterly fall. The best of us. The best of us can have weekdays in our Christian life in our as we are walking this path. But, he says in verse 31, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as what? As eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. I'm telling you, just as, more, just as sure as I'm standing here, there are some people that are so enamored with the thing they're going through that they don't even want to get out of it. And God wants us to fly. We can get weak. We can faint. The bottom can fall out. But He's wanting to strengthen us and wait upon Him and wait for the changing of the wind and the changing of the season to renew our strength, to have a soar above the world, above the problems, with vivid eyesight. We ought to see the enemy. We ought to see our surroundings. We ought to have a good understanding of things. Why? Because you can see so much better from the heights. You, you can't see so well on, on ground level. But if you get up, that's why they buy all those drones. And they take those drones up and they take the pictures of all that. Because you want the better view. You know, with God, there's always a better view. If you'll get a little higher, you can always see better. The way of an eagle in the air should be your way, should be my way, a strong way, a, 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 a fast way, a high way. A way of sharp eyesight. We don't always know where we're headed. 
We always don't know what we've gotten ourselves into. But you know what the Bible tells me? Over there in Exodus chapter 19, there's a good verse. You know, when I've lost my wings, the Bible says in Exodus chapter 19, verse number four, when I don't know my way, when my way's not flying so high, he said in the book of Exodus, as he gave encouragement to his people, Exodus chapter 19, let me get over there with you. Verse number four. Ye have seen what I did unto the Egyptians and how I bear you on eagles' wings. I like this. And brought you unto myself. God said, you were down there in Egypt. You were all bound up. You weren't flying. You couldn't see very well. You were in a very weak position. But I put you on the wings of an eagle and I bear you up myself. To bring you to myself. That's exactly the life he wants us to live. In other words, God don't want me to be an ostrich. Aren't you glad the national bird of America is not an ostrich? Don't they spit or is that emus? Same thing. You know, both those, those birds put their heads in the ground. <laughs> They'll stick their heads in the ground, usually back with, with their eggs and stuff. But ostrich will put his head. I don't want to be an ostrich. Ostriches can't even fly. <laughs> God wants you to fly. You can't fly if you've got your head in the ground. And by the way, God doesn't want us to be peacocks either. They don't fly very, they sort of hop. You ever seen a peacock sort of try to run, get going, and they'll hop, hop, and they'll, they'll get off the ground a little bit. They're not flying too high because they're a peacock. They strut and squawk. Anybody ever live next to a peacock? God bless your heart. That is the loudest animal in the world. Those need to die if they live. They, need, they belong in a zoo. I mean, you know, it's not like a chicken crowing. It's, it's nuts. You know there are some Christians like that. They don't, they don't know they're, they're eagles. They think they're peacocks. That's all you hear. Yeah. But we, don't be a peacock. And if they're not squawking, they're... There's a lot to learn from those birds. Like a turkey strutting, you know. Popping its feathers out. We, we, don't, we don't need to see that from any of us. God delivers from peacocks in the church. Or ostriches. The peacock with all of its glory and its prettiness and its colors and its squawking. And it's strutting and the ostrich with its ugliness and its head. I don't want to be the one. I want to. And while those birds are doing their thing on the world, the eagle's way up there. I want to be way up there with the Lord. 
I want to live above the world where Satan's darts at me are hurled. For faith has caught the joyful sound, the song of saints, higher ground. Help me to fly. The way of an eagle in the air, I think is a good picture of a Christian and how God can nurture us up and how God can give us the strength that we need. Our youth is renewed like the eagles, he said. Our strength is renewed. You know, even up in heaven, when you get up to heaven, if you're saved, how many of you, you going there? I'm going there. You know, when you get up to heaven, there's going to be cherubim up there. You know, those cherubim have four faces. Now, you think about this. God could have picked those cherubims to have any face in the world. They got four. Each cherub's got four faces. Pretty wild thing. You know what one of those faces is? It's an eagle. God must think a lot about that. It must be some type of heavenly deal or he wouldn't surround himself with eagle faces. I think he likes that. Another face is the face of a lion. I think he likes that too. David and Solomon liked that, you know. They, they put those lines. I like that. If I had my way, I can't decorate my house just exactly like because it's not just my house. It's, it's also my wife's house. Amen. Amen. Man, I'd have two lions on the driveway. My wife ain't going to go for that. I, I'm not even going to talk about that. But, but if I had a cottage out in the wilderness, I'd have two lions right there on the driveway. I, I like that. God must really like eagles. He put a face. Matter of fact, in, I better not do this because it would be a whole different message. When, when the Lord Jesus comes again, the second coming, how many of you, you remember that text he talks about, there's be two in the field, one will be taken, the other left. You remember all that? You know, that, that passage has been so misunderstood in the Bible. Because if you read the rest of the passage, the one that's taken, their body is found, their carcass is found. That's not the rapture. That's the second coming of Jesus to the earth. And it's talking about the people that are taken and they're destroyed. Okay, I messed up your idea of that passage. But that's what it's saying. And you know what it says? It says this, wheresoever the eagles will be gathered, there you'll find the carcass or the body. You go over there in um, Joel chapter 2. This is all free. And when the Lord Jesus Christ comes back to this earth, he's coming with a great army. And the Bible says that great army, they'll climb the walls. They can thrust themselves through and they're not killed. If you you don't really know, that's the armies in heaven. That's us. That's us that are saved. And the Bible says we enter into the, through the windows. Body snatchers. Eagles. Soaring and flying and doing the bidding of our Savior. Yeah. Because we come as a thief, you see. Yeah. A thief to take, to take what God wants to be taken. I'm just saying God wants his people to fly. That's what I'm trying to say. He doesn't want us to strut. 
He doesn't want us to stay on the ground with our head in dirt. He wants us to wait upon Him and get that strength that we need from Him so we can fly among the heights. The way of an eagle in the air. He said, I can't comprehend it. It's just wonderful. You know, wouldn't it be great if we could if we could fly that high with God? You know, this world with all their stupidity, they even use that that phrase, man, I want to get high. Right? Let's get high. They're not getting high. They're they're getting stoned. They're getting low. They're getting inebriated. They're they're burning out some more brain cells. But you know what, Chris? You know what God wants us to do? He wants us to get high. High in praise, high in worship, high in our living. We're flying up there with strength and power. Good preacher. I'm not there. Well, just wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. He'll renew you. He can renew your strength. And cause you to mount up with wings as eagles. Don't forget you're an eagle. You're not a peacock. You're not an ostrich. You're not a turkey. You're not a raven. You're an eagle. If you're saved by the grace of God. Back to our text, he says, that, that, that destination, I don't know where that eagle's going. He's going so fast, he's going so high, I can't see where he's headed. He must be headed to the heavens. Proverbs chapter 30, the Bible says in verse number 19, the way of an eagle in the air, the way of a serpent on a rock. And I started trying to think about that. I looked up every verse in the Bible on serpents and all that. I said, okay, I don't, I, I, what? Okay, the way of a serpent on the rock. What is so... What is so fascinating or above comprehension about that? Well, I started thinking about when I lived over on Macedonia Road. And uh, behind the house, there was a, a little stream there. And there was lots of rocks that were built up on the bank. And every year, I, I, don't, really, I don't even remember what time. Yeah, it must have been right in the springtime when it started getting from cold to, to warming up. Every year, I'd go out there. And when the sun would be shining on those rocks, I'd go out there and there'd be snakes on those rocks. They always would find their way on the rocks. Now, one day, one day my, uh, my daughter went out there and one of them, I didn't even know this, one of them climbed a tree. <laughs> I never saw a snake. I don't like snakes. But I especially don't like them over my head. But, you know, those snakes come out of the water. They bury themselves in the rocks, but when the sun comes out, they get out on top of the rock. They sun themselves is what they do. But, but I tell you what, it, and the first time I saw it, I wised up, and I didn't just walk out there to the rocks when the seasons changed. And the, no, I... Yeah. Had my, my shotgun with me. I'd, I'd go there every year, and just about every year. I'll never forget. I got, there's two big ones right there on the, right on the same rock, same time, shot both of them. That, that was the best I did one time. But they'd always be out there. 
But you know, when I first went out there and I didn't know that their way was on a rock, it's pretty surprising. <laughs> Always just walking on the rocks, no big deal. Surely the snakes and the bad things are in their holes. No, it's right there on the rock. And I, all I would say is, you know what? You don't know where that snake has come from and you don't know its destination. He's so unpredictable. And it's not like he's leaving tracks and it's not like you know where he's at because he sits so still. He sort of blends in. I tell you what, if it's the right color of snake, you can't even see it on the rock. His way sort of blends into the rest of the scenery on that rock. I don't know about you, but every time I study a serpent in the Bible, I'm always taken to one entity. And that would be our adversary, the devil. He's that old serpent. I'd say this, you know what? So many times the devil is not lurking in the places that you thought he would be. He's not in the tall grass. He's not hiding uh, somewhere down in a hole. Sometimes he's right there on a rock where you would never think he would be, where he's exposed. He's not hiding. Snakes usually hide. They're not usually out there in the open. Is that not right? That's not what a snake does. He's hiding. But boy, that way of a serpent on a rock, he's right there where you are, where you walk by. And I would say this. We need to understand that the devil and his temptation is so unpredictable. And he sits there so still. You know, Every time I would approach those snakes on those rocks, they wouldn't move a muscle until they knew that I was close enough to know where they were. And as soon as they knew, according to what kind of snake it was, as soon as they knew that I knew they were there, they were gone. Now, certain kind of snakes will turn around and they don't care. They'll come for you, but. But what I'm trying to say, sometimes the devil will sit so still in our lives. And we can find them in the most unpredictable places. And the temptations that we face in our life aren't always in places that you expect. They can arise from so many different areas in your life. You've got to be on guard. We must be praying, Lord, lead us not into temptation. When the sun is out and the sun is shining and it's a wonderful day, don't forget to go around the corner with your shotgun. You understand what I'm saying? Always be prepared for the serpent on the rock. Unpredictable. He slithers out. He's not hiding anymore. I go to the third thing. He says these three things, two, one for me, four, which I know not. The way of an eagle in the air, the way of a serpent on the rock. Thirdly, the way of a ship in the midst of the sea. Now, I think it's intriguing. He's got it in the middle of the sea. If you put a ship out in the middle of the sea, that is the most powerful place of the sea, the most many times perilous part of the sea because if you can stay near the shore, then, you know, you can find some safety, you can tie down. But if you're in the midst of the sea, when those big storms come in, 
You need to have a ship that can weather that storm, no matter how high the waves are. I'm sure many of you have seen uh, videos of uh, ships caught in, uh, in, in big hurricanes. And, and as high as those waves get, it's, it's a wonder to see those ships go way up in the, those waves and come back down. And how they can navigate through a hurricane. How even I think the military with some of their big uh, Navy uh, ships, they will send them out into the ocean when the storm is coming. That goes against sort of the way I think. <laughs> Why are you going to send the ship out into the... That's just where they go. That, that, that's how they can navigate it better. Can I, the ship is made for the sea. Just like the eagle's made for the air. I'm, never forget Brother Earl Hughes too. I, I can't... You know, the longer I live, I just tell all these things Brother Earl say. That's all I do. Tell, tell Brother Earl stories. I never forget Brother Earl was preaching my pulpit one time. He said... He said, Beloved, let's just think about that ship just for a minute. How heavy it is. He started talking about all that steel and iron, how heavy that ship is, how much it weighs. He was giving all these figures. And he said, Take that big, heavy ship and you put it out in that ocean and it just floats. He said, How is that even possible? How can that heavy ship, thousands and thousands of tons, pounds and all that, how does it float? A miracle. You know, he was talking about how it doesn't matter how bad or rocky the storm of our lives and the burdens of our lives can get. God can keep the thing afloat. You wouldn't think the heaviness of that could could navigate a storm. Let, you, you wouldn't even think something that heavy could stay on the top of the water. Some of you can't even float. You have to learn to swim, am I right? If you go out in the water, you just don't float. You got to know how to do that. But you put all that iron, all that steel, and it floats. The way of a ship... In the midst of the sea. Then I started thinking about storms about this. The way of, the way of a ship. In the, how does that ship go through those storms? And immediately my mind goes to two stories. I think of Jonah in that ship, right? In that storm. And I think of Jesus in the storm. And boy, I, and then I think of Acts 27. And Eurocled and that great storm that, that caught the Apostle Paul. And as I thought about those three stories together, those first two were almost hand in glove. Have you ever studied the storm of Jonah and the storm of Jesus? They were both in the ship asleep. Isn't that a miracle? Both of the other people on there thought they were going to die. And went and got the guy asleep. Guy, if you stayed up all night, the Bible is such an amazing book. No wonder Jesus said the sign of the prophet Jonah. There's so many things. It just goes hand in glove. But you know what happened? Both of the men that were asleep were the cause of the storm to be quieted. That's not an accident. But there is one big difference between those two stories. Jonah's is a sad story. 
Jesus is a glad story. You know what the difference is? Jesus and Jonah. If you got Jonah in your boat, if you got a backslidden preacher in your boat, you may have a problem with your ship. If you've got Jesus, if he is in the way, if the way of your ship is going the way of the Lord Jesus Christ, then it's going to be all right. It doesn't matter how bad the wind blows. It doesn't matter how big the waves are. It's going to be all right. Here's what I'm asking. Is the way, where is your ship going? Are our, is the ship of our lives, is it going with Jesus? Are we going His way? That was the problem in Acts 27. The preacher said, don't go. And they said, we're going to go anyway. They said, oh, it'll be more convenient and this place will be more commodious and this will be better and we just got to do this and we got to get going. And the winds are blowing just right and it feels so good. And God's saying, don't go. Don't take the way of your ship into a storm without the will of God. It's hard enough to navigate the storm when we're trying to do right, let alone when we're out of the will of God. The way of a ship in the midst of the sea. We're all going to find ourselves in the storm. The question is, is it Jonah or is it Jesus? Is my life running from the will of God or is my life traveling with the will of God? Amen. James chapter 3. The way of a ship in the midst of the sea. It's wonderful. It's too wonderful. It's amazing to consider how that ship travels. All of us are on an amazing journey with the Lord. We ought to enjoy the trip, and when we find ourselves in the storm, we ought to trust Him. We ought to make sure we're in His will. And this is the verse I'll leave you with. I won't get to the way of a man with a maid. James 3, verse 4. Behold also the ships, which though they be so great and are driven of fierce winds, yet are they turned about with a very small helm. Watch it. Whithersoever the governor listeth. The way of a ship in the midst of the sea should be like this. Lord, you take the helm. It's just a small helm. But Lord, you go this way, I'll go that way. You take the helm and just steer my ship in the midst of that sea whatever way you want me to go. If you take me out in the middle of the storm, I don't understand it, but I'm going to trust you at the helm. Because, Lord, every time I take the helm, I make a mess of it. Because I don't know where to go. And the way of my ship should not be guided by my own eye and should not be guided by my own wisdom. It needs to be guided from higher wisdom. I'm saying let the governor. Guys, nothing in the Bible is a coincidence. What did Isaiah tell us? There shall come forth a governor 
Lord, take my helm. I'm telling you. Most of our storms is because we're steering. All that junk, Jesus is my co-pilot. That's so dumb. Get out of the pilot area. Go back in the seats. Take the cheap seats. Amen. The pilot knows. You don't know what you're doing. I don't know what I'm doing. But I want the governor to take that helm of my heart, my life, my mind, and just turn it. Lord, you want to turn me? Turn me. You want to change what I'm doing, the decision? Turn me. I'm not going to be bullheaded. I'm not, whatever, where, which, wherever you want to do, Lord. You, you have got the wheel. And when we don't do that, the way of the ship in the midst of the sea doesn't go well. Yeah. All right. Way of the eagle in the air, serpent on the rock, ship in the midst of the sea. Pretty good wisdom.